Doc here. Thank you for downloading this podcast of our conversation with Ken Cal, play-by-play voice of the Red Wings. We want to give thanks to our sponsors, Sport Displays, Jersey Mount, the Detroit Beard Collective. Support our sponsors by going to our website, DetroitSportsPodcast.com. We also want to give special thanks to our friends at Fanatic U and the Detroit Sports Nation. Without the support of our friends and our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to put on these podcasts, and hopefully we get a chance to do many more. So thank you guys for your continued support. It's greatly appreciated here. And now, enjoy the podcast that we did with Ken Kell. Hey everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. All I want to know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? Welcome, everybody, to the one-on-one podcast with the Doc John Macaroon. Joining me today, the play-by-play voice of your Detroit Red Wings, also as a host of Inside Hockey Town on 97.1 FM, The Ticket, Ken Cal, kind enough to join us here in the studio. Ken, welcome. Thank you for chatting with the Doc. Doc, good to see you, and it's always fun to be on your podcast. Can you believe it's been 20 years since you took over for Bruce Martin as the play-by-play voice for the Wings? You believe how time flies? Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other day, John. I I was um, I remember uh, I was at the Blash Hill press conference yesterday, and uh, it happened in that same room when I had a press conference there, and they announced me uh, as the radio uh, next radio voice of the Red Wings, and kind of brought back some memories. But you're right; it just doesn't seem like. 20 years ago. It seems like yesterday, but time really flies, especially with a team that uh, has been so successful over the years. The reason why I started this podcast and the reason why I enjoy having these conversations is I'm fascinated with those who work in the sports industry here in Detroit. I'm fascinated to get some insight into why people get into sports or how they develop their passion for what they do. I started following sports as a young kid. I had family members who would turn it on and I became gravitated towards sports. Here in Detroit, vast array of sports to get into. What was your um, initial foray into sports, and what teams maybe did you follow as a kid? How did you get into sports? Well, I grew up in Detroit, and on the west side of Detroit, near the Rouge Park area. And uh, like you and everybody else that lives in this town, I, I enjoyed the Red Wings. I enjoyed the Tigers, the Lions, Pistons, and um, played baseball most of my life. So I, I actually followed the Tigers a, a lot more than the Red Wings. But in the winter time, we'd have our my brother and my sisters. We we have an ice rink in the backyard, and of course you you put on a red sweater, and you thought that you were Gordy Howe back then, and you'd play uh, in hockey in the backyard. So uh, I always enjoyed hockey. I always enjoyed baseball. Um, never really played hockey. Uh, played in a couple of leagues, but mostly pickup games. But I I, I truly liked the sport and and how fast it was and all the action. So I kind of gravitated towards that. But to be honest with you, uh, I mean, a while ago when I was 10 years old, I, I told my dad, because what I would do is I'd take a tape recorder and I'd watch a Red Wing game. This when Bud Lynch and Bruce Martin were doing the, the broadcast. And I would record it off the television or the radio. And then I'd run around the house, you know, and start doing play-by-play. And back then it was, how to Delvecchio to Allman scores, you know. And, and I told my dad when I was 10 years old, because you know, he bought me this tape recorder. And I said, one of these days I want to be the Red Wings announcer. And uh, you never know where your life's going to take you. But the seed was planted at an early age. And once you know it, uh, been here for 20 years. 
Amazing. So you knew at 10 years old that potentially you could be someone that could be in sports and work as a play-by-play voice. And then uh, you went to uh, school here and went, you stayed in town. You went to Wayne State and uh, you did some work in radio. Talk about a little bit of your experiences and your training becoming a, a broadcaster. Well, I, I didn't know what I wanted to pursue when I went to college. And um, I had a friend of mine who owned a funeral home. I was going to be an undertaker and uh, a mortician. And he told me, he said, when you get out, and it was a three-year program, you do like a one-year apprenticeship, something like that. He said, I'll give you a job. So I knew I had a job. But when I was a freshman at Wayne State, John, I, I was walking by WAYN Radio, and it was a campus radio station. And I always enjoyed radio, music, and uh, DJs always as a kid. I used to listen to Keener 13 and CKLW for all the old-timers listening to your podcast right now. They know those stations. But, you know, I, I'd listen to those uh, DJs, and i say, you know, that that's pretty pretty creative, you know be pretty nice to maybe dabble in that a little bit. So I, I checked it out and put in an audition tape and, and needed a lot of work. But fortunately, they gave me a position. It was a top 40 position on a Friday night. And that's where I got my start. I did an internship at WNIC Radio when I was a senior back in 1979. And they eventually worked in Ann Arbor at WAAM and then uh, did Michigan hockey for 11 years and now at the Red Wings. Yeah, Michigan hockey. Was that a fun time learning and uh, picking up the trade on how to be a play-by-play voice um, in your experience covering the U of M uh, hockey team? Well, it's an interesting story, John, because uh, I, I was at the radio station, and when Red Berenson was hired, um, our station, WAAM, got the rights to the hockey broadcast. The problem was we didn't have anybody that could do hockey play-by-play, and I followed the Red Wings. I uh, would go down to Joe Louis Arena and file reports, get interviews, send them back to the the radio station, but I never did play-by-play. So Skip Deagle, who was our program director, station manager, came up to me and said, listen, he says, you're our play-by-play guy. And I go, Skip, I never did play-by-play in my life. He goes, well, we need somebody, and the season's going to start in a month, so you better get ready, you know? So I was put on the spot. Five games in uh, to, the, uh, to, the, to the first season in 84-85, uh, I went up to Skip and I said, I said, Skip, you better find somebody else because I don't know any of the players. I can't keep up with the play and I'm, I'm not very good at it. And he goes, Ken, you're right. You're terrible. He said, but just keep working at it. He goes, as you get better, the team's going to get better and we'll have a good broadcast. So I just worked hard at, at it in five minute segments. And, you know, eventually the team got better. I got better and the rest is history. See, that's what is very fascinating in that somebody looked and felt like, you know what? This person, if they work hard, has potential at it. They didn't just ask you and get someone else in there. They said, hey, listen, work at it, work on your craft, and potentially, if you get better, we feel like you have potential. And that, that I think, is what a lot of people need nowadays. It's just a little bit of motivation to say, hey, listen, stick with it. If you got something, we, we can work with you here, not just a, hey, you know, let's just broom you aside if we don't feel like you've got potential. And that's a good point, John. And I can't tell you how many times um, when I finally said, "Hey, I'm going to go into broadcasting," people would say, "You're crazy. You know, you're you know, you can't make any money at it, and you know, you're going to have a lot of disappointments." Well, you know, sometimes you can't describe what kind of heart or passion that a, a person has. I had a lot of passion. I wanted to succeed, and I wanted to do well, and I wanted to prove to people that who told me you're never going to make it that. I was going to make it. So I really worked hard at it. And, and that's the key, I think, to, to young people out there who want to decide what they want to do or older people that want to get into a new line of work. Don't listen to other people. If you have a passion for something, go after it and uh, you know, never take no as an answer. And then 1995 comes up and Bruce Martin, after a legendary play-by-play career, 31 years, retires, and they say, Mr. Cal, you're going to have the job. What was that experience like? Do you remember the moment when you got the job? 
Yeah, it was uh, an interesting interview I had with um, Tanis Illich and Mr. Illich. And uh, they, first of all, I, I wasn't going to apply for the job. I was at Michigan and the team was really getting better. They were on the verge of winning a national championship. And I was there from the beginning, from Red's beginning. And it was kind of fun. But um, the, the color guy that I was working with, uh, Jim Hunt, he said, uh, why don't you put your tape in? And I said, Jim, I, I don't have a chance. I'm a college guy. Like, you know, they're going to hire a name and they're going to hire somebody who has more experience, you know? And, and he goes, no, no, no. So after like two weeks of him hounding me, I, I finally put something together and I sent it over to the Red Wings. Right. And, and not thinking I'd ever hear of anything. And, and I was a sales rep in the medical field and I did the Michigan hockey on the side. So I had a pretty good job as a sales rep and I was in Indianapolis uh, and I was uh, in a conference and my beeper at that time goes off. So I look at the number, you know, and I call the number and it's the Red Wing. And they said, we'd really like to bring you in tomorrow for an interview. And I said, geez, I go, I'm going to be here for the next couple of days. I don't think I can get in there. Is there a possibility maybe the following week I can come in? Oh yeah, sure. You know, just give us a date. And so went down there, had the interview and um, interviewed really well. And Mr. Illich said, you know, we really like you and, you know, hang by your phone and maybe in a week we'll call you. And sure enough, the, the phone rang on a Friday and it was the happiest guy in the world. And then now you were paired with uh, Paul Woods pretty much immediately, right? Yeah. Paul worked with uh, Bruce Martin for five or six years prior. Were there any challenges that first season, just getting the ebb and flow of the play-by-play voice along with the color guy? Sometimes it doesn't, you know, you know, when you start working with a new individual, it takes a little time to build that chemistry. What was the experience like, you know, that first season with the Wings? It was great from day one, and, and Paul's been terrific, and he made me feel comfortable just coming in. And, um, you know, he spent a lot of time with Bruce Martin, and, and he never, you know, said, hey, this is how Bruce did it. He just said, go up, be yourself, do your thing, and um, you know we'll work well together. And I couldn't ask for a better partner over the years. So we, we got along right well from day one, and uh, we certainly enjoy ourselves on the radio. Yeah, and then around that time with the Wings, you know, 94, 95, 96, they were a team that was up and coming, a team that was on the verge. A lot of people around town were like, this team has a chance. And you know, early, there were some early exits. There were some playoff uh, nightmares and playoff exits. But then in uh, 96, you had that great call in the game versus uh, St. Louis. Triple, I think it was double or triple overtime when Steve Eiserman ended the game and sent the Wings to the Eastern or Western Conference. The Western Conference Finals. Wasn't that a, what an interesting, what a great experience. You remember the feelings you had covering that game, the anxiety, people were like, was this going to end? What an interesting game that was. Well, it certainly was. And a lot was riding on the line. I was game seven and Eisman, yeah. I remember, took it across the line and he just crossed the blue line, just ripped one. And it went over John Casey right in the top corner of the net and the place exploded. I mean, uh, he was jumping around behind the net, as I recall, and the fans just went crazy. And at that particular time, that was one of the bigger goals um, scored by by the Red Wings in a long, long time. I mean, I know the year prior they were they played New Jersey in the in the Cup and lost in the finals, but um, that was a big moment because they were almost eliminated. They had a great year that year. That's the thing. They they won sixty two games and um, struggled kind of in the playoffs. Winnipeg they had to dispose of them in six games, and then they played St. Louis in seven. Finally, won in triple overtime. Do you remember the moment that it happened and the excitement that you felt covering that? Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was a game where both goaltenders played really well. I think it was Chris Osgood who was in goal. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, goes back some time. But it, it was a game where both teams had chances and neither team could score. I just remember Eisman going over the line and just driving that shot into the top corner of the net and um, him jumping around. And the fans just uh, – because the Red Wings had a lot of heartbreak back then. It seemed like they would get to the – the pinnacle, and then they could never get over the over the top of the mountain. And and 
something always happened to to destroy their their hopes and dreams and and you know that was a big moment yeah um 97 happens we get to the Stanley Cup final versus Philadelphia the legion of doom everyone's thinking well potentially the wings have a good a good solid chance but a lot of people also picked Philadelphia can you talk about covering that series and what it's like? Because sometimes we don't realize not everybody's in the building when a team hoists the Stanley Cup. You were there in 97 at the Joe Louis Arena covering it on the radio as a play-by-play voice. Just take us a little bit through that. And what's it like being in the building when the Stanley Cup is presented to a team that you're covering? Well, I remember going to Philadelphia for games one and two, Doc, and, and uh, I remember tur- tuning into the radio, WIP radio, because I, I flew in separately i didn't go with a team and i rented a car and i'm driving over to the hotel and i had the sports radio station on and they're already talking about the parade route and they're they're going like oh yeah we're gonna go downtown and we're gonna you know cross this street and you know we're gonna hoist it here and we're gonna have the you know they're going through everything and i'm like well wait a minute the series hasn't started yet and you're already counting your blessings here you know you think you won a stanley cup so the red wings were underdogs even though i thought they were the better team going in against the philadelphia and sure enough you know they win the first two games there and I remember Maltby having a Draper, Coaster, McCarty. Uh, I remember Eiserman scoring a goal just crossing the red line at center ice. And, and all of a sudden, the Flyers are down two games to none. They go back to Detroit. And the Red Wings disposed of them rather easily, I think, in game three. And then in game four, uh, I just remember it's been 42 years since they won their last cup in 55. And I remember before the game, I went outside the Joe and just looking at the fans, I wanted to take it all in and I wanted to see all the fans, you know, they were ready to celebrate. And it was just a, an exciting moment. And when, when the game ended, it's almost like you can't believe it. You can't believe all that hard work and, and they finally did it. They won a Stanley cup. And I remember people crying. I remember, uh, you know, just tears of joy and, and it's something it's, it's kind of like when the lions win a super bowl, it's going to happen. <laughs> You know, it's been so long that you really, really appreciate it. Right, and I think the struggle, really, the wings struggled for a period of time. You remember the dead wings era? Mm-hmm. The wings struggled, and with the come up, and then we, we saw, we grew up with Steve Eiserman. You know, he, he was an 18-year-old captain or 19-year-old captain, very young in the league. We kind of identified with this individual who we had a feeling like, this person can be successful here with Detroit. He's going to stay here for a while. And then when he hoisted that cup, it was just a moment that it, that was the day I actually graduated high school. Really? So I, it, it's a great accomplishment in my life. I'm 18 years old. You feel accomplished. You go to celebrate at a friend's house. You watch the game and the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup on the day I graduated high school. It was just a special moment and one that you will, you'll never forget the roar when he hoisted the cup. It was amazing. Yeah. And, um, I remember Mr. Illich smiling. He was on the end of the, end of the bench, and uh, I remember they gave him the cup, and he hoisted it. And you know, it was great. I mean, Mr. Illich and the Illich family put a lot of dollars and a lot of uh, time and sweat, and, uh, and and it was good to see them that that, that it all paid off for them because um, you know they made the investment years before and couldn't seem to get over the mountaintop, but they certainly did in '97. It's just an amazing job that you've had now for 20 years. And now some wrinkles of the job that are a little bit challenging is that you're a play-by-play voice. So when the Red Wings played versus Pittsburgh, you had a struggle, a notable struggle with your voice. You had laryngitis, mm-hmm. and uh, you were kind enough, passed it along to Ken Daniels. I want to play a little clip, and we can recall kind of a struggle of you know not having your voice, <laughs> the tool of the trade, in a significant period uh, for the Red Wings. Have a listen. The 2008 Stanley Cup Finals... Game six, we're at Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh. And wouldn't you know it, I come up with laryngitis. I walked to the rink, and it was about eight blocks away, and there was a Catholic church. I remember walking up the stairs to the Catholic church. I knelt down, 
And I'm kind of whispering and I said, look, I know you don't see me in here as much as you'd like, but if there's any way that maybe a silver lining can come out of this, you know, please show me the way. Ken Daniels uh, was called in from Detroit when they knew I couldn't go and, and do the game. 45 seconds left, I think there was a face-off. And Ken took his headset off, and I was standing next to Paul, behind him, and he says, hey, you're doing the last 15 seconds. And I look at him and I go, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. I go, no, I'm not. I can't talk. He says, yes, you are. He says, put your headset on, suck it up, and do it. All right. Put the headset on, and he throws it over to me, and I had enough voice left just to call the final 15 seconds. 15 seconds to go. That's who tripped. And Ken Cal bring us home for the Stanley Cup with 10 seconds left. Gonchar flips it over the line. Lidstrom fires it out to center ice. Five seconds to go. Gonchar to Malkin over the Detroit line. Pushes it forward. Backhand for it. Oh, it's good to save. And the rebound slip right through the goal mouth. Time will run out. And the Detroit Red Wings are the 2008 Stanley Cup champions. Amazing. And you, you just get goosebumps just listening to that now. What an interesting dynamic in that you're a play-by-play voice, and then you get laryngitis. You get called into the booth. Just talk about that whole experience, that whole ordeal of getting laryngitis at the Stanley Cup final. You're like, no, this cannot happen now. It, it usually attacks me once or twice a year. It really does. I don't know why I try to keep myself in good health, and, and it just does. Sometimes you wake up, you lose your voice, you know, and we travel quite a bit. But that particular day, and, and I thank Ken Daniels to this day for giving me that opportunity. And, and I, I guess I was scared because I didn't talk the whole game, really. And then here I am arguing with them, so that doesn't help the voice either. You know, I could talk a little bit, but I, I was scared because it was a great moment in history that'll go down forever. And I wanted to make sure that whoever was going to call it w- was going to do justice and and have a voice to do it, right? So. I felt more comfortable with Ken actually doing it because it was going to be a play that everyone's going to remember. Whenever they think of the 2008 Cup, you know, you're going to hear that final call. But he threw it to me, and like I said, maybe that uh, that stop into the Catholic Church and maybe the man upstairs uh, blessed me a little bit, and it all worked out in the long run. Could you? I mean, and also too, what made it interesting was there was a great scoring chance. Oh, oh you you imagine you were like, oh my gosh, you know, you're gonna call, you know, the game tying goal, and it was such an exciting time. People at the time were like, oh, did it go in? And the replay, and just the the inches that the puck went out, amazing, amazing end to that to that series. It was amazing because from our vantage point, you couldn't tell if the puck went in, and it was shot from an angle, and you know, Osgood made a beautiful save, and then the next thing you know. Time ran out, but the wings just stood there. And, and I don't think they realized the game was over until maybe five seconds later. And then the Penguins gave up because they knew the game was over. And then the Red Wings, all of a sudden, I just remembered a pause. And then they started celebrating like, hey, we won the Stanley Cup. But yeah, that was interesting. That was, um, that was a really good series. And it was really, really something to be able to broadcast that. Yeah, the 2008-2009 seasons were very interesting, the rivalry with Pittsburgh. And then, you know, 2009, we get back to the finals. We play, you know, play Pittsburgh again. And then we have Game 7 at the Joe. Going into it, do you recall your your memories? Did you have confidence at the time that the Wings maybe would? Because um, a lot of people were very confident that the Wings were going to come home and just take the Stanley Cup at the Joe. And then talk about what it was like to actually to be in the arena uh, the day that the, the Wings lose a Game 7 at the Joe. John, there's no way in the world that I thought the Red Wings were going to lose that game. And, nobody and, did. Really, nobody did. No, and and I think if you played that game 9 out of 10 times, the Wings would have won that game. And they almost tied it in the waning moments. Lidstrom had a great chance that I thought he was going to score, and Fleury made a beautiful save with you know seconds to go. It was kind of like a replay of the year year ago that we just talked about. But um, 
it's amazing the players that step it up when games are on the line. And it's not usually your star players. It's usually a third or fourth line player that comes up big. And in this particular case, Talbot um, was the guy that scored two goals, both goals for Pittsburgh. And Cronwell had a goal for Detroit, and Lidstrom almost scored there uh, in the waning moments. But it was so, such a disappointment. You, you go through the entire year, and you go to seven games, and your crowd's ready to explode, and you want to win the cup on your home ice. And when you see the other team win, uh, it's not fun. You know, it's, it's always great to see the crowning of a Stanley Cup champion, in this particular case, the Pittsburgh Penguins. But on the other hand, I thought the Wings got robbed because I, I thought that they should have won that game. Yeah, it was, I can imagine the mood is kind of somber. It's kind of like, you know, that haze you get when you, 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 put, you put forth so much effort and the sadness you get by just coming up one game short and especially at the Joe. It's just really, it, it was just a somber day, and a day that I will remember for sure. And then there was always the, the talk about Crosby not wanting to shake uh, yeah, yeah. Nicholas Lidstrom's hand or making him wait. And, um, you know, I don't know. And the celebration, I mean, think about it. You celebrate you're not thinking about shaking hands. So I, I don't know if it was something that Crosby did. I think the fans here in Detroit feel that he did it on purpose, but I don't know if he did. Okay, something You know, you brought up something that I was, I've been thinking about. A player that a lot of us watched and a lot of us maybe don't know what to think about is Sergei Fedorov. Mm-hmm. You know, he, because of the whole contract situation, the holdout, a lot of people in town don't revere him as he should. This was a player that was, you know, a player that was a key component to those Stanley Cup teams and a key component for the success of the Wings for that period of time. And But he's not looked at and revered like a Steve Eiserman, like a Lidstrom, possibly due to leaving and the way he was treated at, um, the, way, the way he handled free agency. Just your sense of Sergei Fedorov and your thoughts about him, because he just had an amazing career. And he was just a player that I kind of gravitated towards because of that series versus Washington, the speed, the power, the ability just to put the puck in the net, the natural talent. And I just felt like, you know, he, he became a casualty just because of free agency and the way he kind of handled the business side of sports. Well, you're right about that. And, and I thought he was a dynamic player and uh, what a skater he was. And, and there, there's only a handful of players that I can think of that can actually bring you out of your seat when a player skates down the ice and, and tries to score. And he was one of those guys. He could stick handle through everybody, and he had an amazing shot. And what a, what a remarkable talent Sergei Fedorov was. And I agree with you. I, I think he, when you look at the greats of the greats, he certainly is one in Detroit. I, I mean, he had a great career, didn't score 500 goals, but um, you know he was a great two-way player, good uh, defensive forward responsible in his own zone. At one point, Scotty Bowman put him back on the blue line to play defense for a little bit, and he did a great job. Terrific skater, a lot of speed, as I mentioned. But, um, you know, I think he does get overlooked, and, and I really liked watching him. And I like him as a person, too. I had an opportunity to, to you know, talk to him several times, um, you know, off the ice, and just a great guy. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know the whole issue with Anna Kornikova, the whole, you know, becoming people thought maybe he became Hollywood. A lot of those things kind of cause people to misperceive him as a player and as a person. But do you think now, I think the talk around town is, um, should 91 be in the rafters? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think if you look at all the um, the players that are in the rafters, they're all Hall of Famers. And I was just reading in the Hockey News today, John, that uh, he might be voted in to the Hockey Hall of Fame this year with Nick Lidstrom and Chris Pronger. So uh, certainly if, if he does make it into the Hall of Fame, you have to take a look at him and maybe one day they'll put his number up there. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think he's he's a player that when you look at it in his career as in, in total, I believe he has a, a good chance. Maybe they'll do it. Maybe in the new arena. We'll see. Well, you have to be deep down the middle. And back then, the Red Wings were really deep. This was before mm-hmm. salary caps and everything. But you, you know, you have Iserman as one center iceman. 
Yeah, Fedorov uh, as another center iceman down the road. Yeah, Igor Larionov. I mean, I mean, the Red Wings were so deep and so talented. And that 2002 team that won the Stanley Cup, just unbelievable. All the talent that they had, Hashik and Hull and you know Shanahan. The list goes on and on. Iserman. I mean, I mean, you'll never see an All Star team like that because of the salary cap. But they were fun to watch. That was an amazing team, a collection of talent that came together. And Dominic Hasek, we got to see Dominic Hasek play here in Detroit, one of the one of the top maybe five goaltenders of all time. Luke Robitaille, Nick Lidstrom. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the players that will one day be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, just terrific. And and the other thing we didn't talk about, uh, the Russian Five. When, when Fedorov was here, I remember when they made the trade to get Igor Larionov. We were in Calgary, and I remember seeing Igor on the bus. He's another player, one of my all-time favorites, great guy. And uh, I remember that game, and it was like keep away. Every time the Russian five was on the ice, Calgary never touched the puck. And I remember Fedorov scored a goal in that game, and the wings, or the Russian five, passed that puck around 20, 25 times before putting it in the net. And it was almost like like comedy out there. It was like keep away. And the Flames were just getting frustrated, and they're swinging their sticks at them. And, you know, if, if the opening wasn't there, they'd bring it back in their own zone and wind up again. And it was just, they were just... Fun to watch. I mean, you'll never see anything like that again either, I don't think. No, it was amazing. And I, I became aware of the beauty of the game and the passing and the eloquence of hockey um, from Wayne Gretzky. You know, he was just a, a magician on the ice, just with the ability to pass. He would just, you know, put the puck in places you wouldn't think and then pass it for amazing goals. So many assists for Wayne Gretzky. And then exactly. So when the Russian Five came to town, it was just an amazing brand of hockey. Great stuff. And you're absolutely right. I don't think we're going to see that ever again. I remember a story with uh, Vladimir Konstantinov. We were in uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, and a regular season game halfway through the year, something like that. And and I remember, I think it was Wendell Clark just working him over at center ice. I mean, just punching him in the face. And and <laughs> Konstantinov's helmet is actually over his eyes, so he like he can't really see too much. Well, wouldn't you know it? The puck comes after he's you know mixing it up with Wendell Clark. The puck squirts free, and here he is on a breakaway, going in on goal. And he, he roofed it. I, he, it was a beautiful shot. Like, you don't think defensemen, I mean, it was like Fedorov or Eisenman scoring a goal on a breakaway. It was a, a remarkable goal. So I remember after the game, we get on the bus and Vladdy sat behind me uh, on the bus. I go, Vladdy, I go, that was a great goal. He goes, I heat water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a goal scorer's goal. Goal scorer's goal, Vladdy. It was, you know, the Red Wing organization, you know, when you when you look at it as a whole, you can tell the organization is close. The they really treat the players very well, and that's why the organization has had success. I'm chatting with Ken Cal, play by play voice of your Detroit Red Wings. You can follow him on Twitter at Ken Cal DRW. He's been kind enough to share some stories regarding his 20 year career as a play by play voice for your Detroit Red Wings. And now we'll talk a little bit about the current Red Wings and the the kind of transition that we're in since. We got a new head coach on Tuesday, the press conference, you know, the worst kept secret in Detroit Red Wing history. Jeff, basically Mike Babcock told us that uh, Jeff Blaschel was going to be the new head coach. Um, your reaction when you, when you heard the news that uh, Jeff Blaschel had the, the 27th head coach of our Detroit Red Wings? Well, I was kind of laughing too when you said that because uh, it, it was the worst kept secret out there. Everyone knew Jeff Blaschel was going to be the next coach. Obviously, you can't say it until you actually do it, but... Uh, I, I think it's going to be great. I think Jeff's done a really, really good job. I, I knew Jeff when he was an assistant coach for Mike Babcock several years ago. And what I, what I like about it is he wanted to be a head coach in the NHL one day. So what he did was actually took a step sideways and maybe down a little bit, but he wanted to run his own bench. So in order to get an opportunity, 
and and the timing was right for him because he went to Grand Rapids. He didn't have to go very far. He could keep his family here in Michigan, and you know did a really really good job with the Grand Rapids Griffins and won a Calder Cup there, and and he took his team this past year to three rounds. I mean, he did a remarkable job. The thing about Jeff Blaschel is he's been a winner at all levels. It's not like you look at certain coaches and they say, well, you won here, but you didn't win here. But he's got the ability to communicate well with players and still hold them responsible. And I, I think it's a breath of fresh air in the Red Wing locker room. I think the veterans will buy into it. Zetterberg, Datsu, Cronwall. And, and I think the young guys, he's practically coached all of them so far in, you know, in Grand Rapids. So I think he's, it's a good transition, and I think he'll be very successful here in Detroit. Yeah, a good transition from the Mike Babcock era. You know, he had, a, by all accounts, he had a successful era, won us a Stanley Cup, and got us to another final. But a lot of people, you know, kind of are looking at the last few years where the Wings didn't have as much success. But when you look at it in totality, he carried the mantle very well, and he's propped himself up to be considered an elite NHL head coach. Just sum up a little bit, uh, Mike Babcock's era and your memories of the last couple of years with, uh, with Coach Babcock. Just a terrific hockey coach, and in my mind, the best hockey coach in the game today, bar none. Uh, what he did with this team when they had all those injuries a couple years ago, 450 man games lost to injury, was unbelievable. And and with that said, and I'll give you an example, the Red Wings robbed everybody in Grand Rapids, brought them up to Detroit, and, and Mike molded that group, and they won the playoffs. But at the same time, Blaschel didn't have anybody down there in Grand Rapids, so they're calling people up from Toledo and getting signing different players to play. And he actually did a very good job in Grand Rapids that not many people know about, and, and he actually won the Coach of the Year in Grand Rapids. So Mike Babcock, just the, he's going to do well in Toronto. He's, he's a terrific coach. Just him being in Toronto is going to jumpstart that club. Got a lot of work ahead of him, but if there's a guy that can get the job done, it's going to be Mike Babcock. Yeah, and you know, a point that I want to talk about a little bit is just your opinion on the whole now salary cap era. Because in the past, if in in a in a league where you don't have a salary cap, you can kind of be a little bit flexible in bringing in talent. And now it's a little bit tougher of a job for Ken Holland to kind of put together a roster with the mindset of, hey, you know, we have to um, be mindful of the cap and make sure that we get value out of the players. Just in your mind, do you? Um, like the salary cap because what it does is it brings parity to the league. It doesn't allow a team like the Red Wings who are, you know, potentially flush with funds to just, you know, pick and choose. But at the same time, now we've seen kind of the effect of that where, you know, we can't just go out and get everybody and just say, hey, there's the defense we want, maybe Green or Petrie, let's just go get them. That's a little bit more challenging. From a selfish standpoint, Doc, I like it the old way. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Just because, you know, the Red Wings weren't afraid to spend money and uh, they could do it. The Rangers... Canadians, you know, all, all the Chicago, they could do it. From a competitive standpoint, though, I think it's great for the whole league. And it allows teams like the Edmonton Oilers, who've really struggled, but it, it allows them each and every year an opportunity, if they develop their players, right, to, to win a Stanley Cup. And and I, I think for years, teams like Edmonton and Calgary and some of the lower-seeded teams were just feeder teams. They would develop their players and then the players, once they hit free agency, didn't want to stay and they'd go somewhere else, like to the Red Wings or Rangers or Leafs or Canadians or Bruins. So so I think overall, the league is a lot better. It's more competitive. Um, I think for the fans or from the fans' point of view, Doc, you can look online at the standings or read a newspaper and in the month of March, everybody's in it. And usually it comes down to the last game of the season as to who's going to get that last playoff spot. So what I what I don't like, and I, I remember even in baseball years ago, when the top team from the American League and the top team from the National League would just go, 
two months into the season, there were teams that were 22 games out. And, and you know, what good is that for the fans? You know, they don't want to go to the games. But now, you know, every game's almost sold out wherever we go, and, and it's good. Yeah, you said it. The Red Wings travel well. You'd be surprised in Arizona, in L.A., the, the Red Wings just travel well. And to see those red jerseys uh, across the league is really fascinating. The Red Wings are a big draw. It's great to see Red Wing fans in enemy territory because uh, some of the some of the places we go to, you know, can get kind of rough. You go to Chicago and uh, the fans don't like the Red Wing fans and you see a scattering of uh, Red Wing fans there and they don't like the Chicago fans either. So it's a good rivalry. I think that's the best rivalry right now. I, I know for the longest time it was Detroit and Colorado, but Detroit-Chicago, even though they're in the other divisions, a good rivalry too. And it's good to see people travel well uh, with the Red Wings on the road. And new rivalries now can be created because we're in the Eastern Conference. You know, you know, talk about the move to the East, and do you think it's going to be a little bit more challenging for the Wings going forward? Because, man, the teams, uh, you can tell the teams in the East are bigger, faster, stronger, and it's a tough brand of hockey to get out of the East. It's an accomplishment to get out of the Eastern Conference for sure. Well, it certainly is, and the Atlantic Division now is just going to be even tougher now that Mike Babcock's with Toronto. They'll be a better team. Florida seemed like they're getting a little bit better. Tampa Bay's in the final. Boston struggled a little bit, but they're always tough. it's just a tough, tough division. And, you know, the wings are trying to compete and, and I don't think they're that far off. I -hmm. I think they've been bounced uh, in the first round last couple of years or or two years ago was in Chicago. They could have beat them, but everybody is close. And the, and what fans don't understand sometimes is that the difference between winning and losing is just a slim margin. It's, it's, it's amazing. One little mistake and you lose and maybe your playoff chances go away too. So it's hard. It's it's a hard, tough league, and you talk to any coach, John, around the National Hockey League, and they'll tell you uh, it's not easy anymore. Like there were games back in the day when you could go into a Washington and they were weren't very good, and you could almost count, you know, put a put a check there as a win. Can't do that with any team now in the NHL. I agree with you 100%. And then the best part about, I think, the Wings now being in the East is that we can, you know, avoid those late series, the early first-round series versus L.A., uh, San Jose, and things like that. A lot of fans, you know, would say, the Wings should be in the East, and what took so long? And I'm glad they're now in the East, and now we got a new challenge to uh, reclaim our, our top spot, get back to the finals. Yeah, John, it's tough for the fans staying up at 1030 at night watching a, a Tuesday game, a playoff game in Anaheim or Los Angeles. So, yeah, the schedule's a lot better. And and the other thing, too, is when you're out in Anaheim for a playoff series, and maybe fans will know, you're stuck out there. So sometimes when there's building, availability isn't there, and you might have two, maybe three days off because of a concert be- between games one and two or three and four, you got to stay out there. If that happens in the East, you can always fly home, practice in Detroit. And the the bad part about playing in the West, especially in the playoffs, is that your off day when you traveled, you lost that day. It wasn't a practice day. Now you can go home after game four, let's say, prepare for game five, and you can practice. Coming back from the West Coast was always a a travel day, and neither team could practice. What an interesting series, Tampa Bay versus uh, Chicago. Tampa Bay, Bishop has kind of weathered the injury, played a great game three, and now um, we're approaching game four. Your thoughts on the series, Tampa Bay versus Chicago? A lot of people going into the series felt like, you know, when you look at the talent that Chicago with Taves and Kane, uh, they just have a little bit more of an edge. But I really like the leadership of Tampa Bay. I like the goaltending. I really think it's going to be a seven-game series. I'm leaning towards Tampa Bay. Well, going into it, I lean toward Tampa Bay, but it's tough to discount Chicago with that talent. And, you know, Quenville is an amazing coach. You're right about that, John. Uh, Chicago, they always seem to find a way to, to get the job done, so to speak. And Arguably the best team in the salary cap era. Their third appearance in the final since uh, 
2010. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Taves and Kane, Hosa. They've got, they got on the blue line, Keith and, and, uh, Seabrook and Johnny Oduya. They, they've got a lot of talent there and they've done a really good job. Stan Bowman's done a good job putting that team together. And Quenville, I don't know if people notice this, but he's never missed the playoffs as a head coach in the National Hockey League. So he's an outstanding uh, coach as well. Tampa Bay, they can score. And, and I think if you look at the Red Wings over the last couple of years, that's one area I think they need to improve in. They need guys that can score goals. And that's the difference between, I think, Tampa Bay right now and Detroit is Tampa Bay can score and they can put that puck in the net on a regular basis. Now, if they're not scoring, they also have a good goaltender in, in Bishop who can keep the puck away and, you know, make some great saves as well. So they're a tough team to beat. I think if when it's all said and done and whether Tampa Bay wins the the Stanley Cup, or if they don't, they'll look at that Detroit series and say that was one of the toughest series that they had to play in because they went through stretches without scoring a goal. And they were the top team as far as goal scoring in the National Hockey League. So the Wings did a good job defensively on them. When you look at the Red Wings and you say, well, they were up 2-1, to one, four, four to five minutes away from taking a 3-1 series lead and taking a stranglehold, the Wings were close. They played Tampa Bay very well. And like you said, a couple bounces here and there, and we could have advanced. But it just didn't happen. But looking at the current Red Wings, it's very interesting what's going on now because, like the head coach, we're now in transition. We're now going to see probably a probably a couple more younger players come to the come to the roster and play in the NHL. A lot of people are talking about Anthony Mantha. A lot of buzz about Dylan Larkin. Talk about the young players and uh, your your excitement with the players potentially from Grand Rapids making the main roster. It's a man's league. It's a tough league. Yeah. And and I know everybody was talking about Anthony Mantha saying like, wow, you know, he was lights out. He was scoring 50 goals in junior. Well, you see what happened in the American League. It's even tougher in the National Hockey League. And I tell people this, you know, people think that you can go out and get a 30-goal score. for It's hard. It's hard to score in this league now. There was only one 50-goal scorer this year. That was Ovechkin. And there might have been a handful of guys that scored 30, 40 goals this year. So to find a guy like that, is is hard, but there is a guy in the Red Wings I think that could really flourish under Jeff Blashill, and that's Timu Pulkinen. He's got a great shot, scored a lot of goals in the American League over the past couple of years, and maybe Blashill's got a plan of how to use him with different players where he can put the puck in the net. And again, that, that's what I think. I think the Red Wings need some goal scorers, and a lot of the young guys need to step up. Now in the offseason, I, I think the Red Wings are looking for maybe a top six forward if they can get one, and maybe a, a a, a blue liner that's got some experience that you know could be a two, three, four goal uh, defenseman. Ideally, a team would have um, a good mix of veterans and young players. I think the Red Wings going forward have have a great mix. You have guys like Zetterberg, Datsu, Cronwall that can teach the younger players what to expect in the NHL. And now you have a flourish of guys in Grand Rapids that people are are, are they're highly touted, and it's going to be an exciting time the next few years getting these guys into the lineup and see what what they can do. And let's not forget our goaltenders, Jimmy mm-hmm. Howard and uh, we'll definitely talk about that. And and Marazic, to me really played well. I thought in the series against Tampa Bay, and he's got a bright future in the National Hockey League. And it, there'll be some competition between Howard and Marazic. But I think in today's game, John, and I, I know you want to talk about this too, is that the, the old days of just having one starting goaltender are over. I think when you look at the Stanley Cup playoffs, even this year, teams use two goaltenders on a regular basis. So I think it's a shared position now. What do you think? I agree. I think that um, it's great to open it up to a competition, and I think the Wings came out and said that they're not going to give the job to Mrazek right away. Um, I do believe that um, it's going to be an interesting 
thing to watch as the preseason progresses as to who's going to be the starter. And, you know, obviously Howard's contract is going to play a, a part in whether he's, you know, going to be on the team or is going to be moved or potentially a high-priced backup. But I really, you know, I thought when I we, when we spoke on the podcast a few months back, I really felt like Mrazek should have been given the chance, in my opinion, because he has that it factor. When you watched a little bit with Howard, you know he had he's a strong goaltender. He's got a lot of ability. It's just that he, I felt like he re, he reached a certain point. And Mrazek had the ability to stop breakaways, do a little bit better in the shootout, and he just had like that it factor. He had a strong game, and I felt like he had a lot of potential. And that's why I believe Babcock named him the starter. I really liked his grit. I liked the fact that when he got pulled, he came back the next game and played a strong game. And I just think that he has a great demeanor. And I felt like I feel like Mrazek. When we when we start the next season, I really believe Mrazek's probably going to be the guy, in my opinion. Well, Jeff Blaschel knows him really well yeah. because he coached him. And I think it's an interesting year for Jimmy Howard, too. I don't yeah. think the Red Wings are going to move him. Uh, he still has three or four years left on his on his contract. But this is an interesting summer for Jimmy Howard. I think I think he has to come in and really try to win the job back. And it, it must be tough for Jimmy. I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but it's got to be tough on him knowing that you were the guy and come playoff time, you're not in, in the net. And he had great numbers before the injury. He was playing well, arguably the best he ever he played in his career. Yeah, it was named to the All-Stars. And then wouldn't you know, 10 minutes into the game, I think we were in Washington or something, he, he has that uh, horrible groin injury. And Mrazek held his own in, in the first round. Your observations of his first round performance versus Tampa Bay. He held his own. I think I felt like based on what we watched, that he held his own. He gave the team a solid chance to win. And that's what you can ask for from your goaltenders that, hey, you know, if you're going to get peppered, that you keep the puck out of the net and you give us a solid chance to stay in games. Yeah, he was terrific and he shut him out. Now, he, down the stretch, he, he had a shutout at the Joe's, an afternoon game in March where he posted a shutout and then shut him out once or twice in the in the playoffs there and in that series. So he was great. I thought he was terrific. And and the good thing about him, and, and I, I see this in a lot of goaltenders, John is great goaltenders is when you let in a bad goal and he didn't really let in any bad goals, I don't think, but, but when he does let up a goal, it doesn't bother him. And I remember Grant Fuhrer was the same way. And, you know, you just concentrate on making the next save. And that's what, that's what Peter Morazic's all about. I think. And as Mike Babcock said, he, he's got a lot of moxie and, He's good. I like Jimmy Howard, too. I think, uh, like I said, this be an interesting training camp for both of the goaltenders, and uh, I think you're going to see Jimmy come back and really try to win that number one spot back. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. You have you, you're going into the season knowing that goaltending is going to be probably a position that we don't have to really worry about too much. Um, definitely, like you said, defense, scoring, and then now consistent play. You know, talk about the playoff streak. For the majority of your time as the play-by-play voice, the Red Wings have made the playoffs and it's become legend here in town is like this Red Wing team has really accomplished something that really nationally is underrated. 20, is it 24? 24. 24 consecutive seasons in the playoffs. Almost unheard of. Oh, it is in any professional sport. And it's so difficult now because of all the parody that we talked about in the National Hockey League with a salary cap. And it's just amazing how the Red Wings develop talent and Unlike any other team in the National Hockey League, they're never picking those top draft choices like a Connor McDavid or Eichel, who's going to go one two this year. They're always picking in the middle, and to be able to develop them in Grand Rapids and then bring them in and where they don't miss a beat and they're ready to play says a lot. And there's only one team now that has never missed the playoffs since the lockout. It used to be San Jose and Detroit. Now it's it's just Detroit. So Ken Holland and the coaching staff and 
everybody, Ryan Martin, they've done a really, really good job of turning the ship around. And Ken Holland made an analogy one time. He said, you know, the wings right now aren't like a speedboat where they can just add a few players and turn it on a dime. He says, we're like a cruise ship. He says, we got to turn this big ship around like slowly at a time and still try to make the playoffs. And the thing is, I, I heard a lot of people talking on talk radio out there and fans call up and they say, well, they need to just retool. Don't make the playoffs for a couple of years. Well, it's not that easy. You know, you've got, here's the thing about making the playoffs, especially now with parody, you can't win the prize unless you're at the dance. So you have to qualify to make the playoffs for an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. I agree with you. I think that it's a great streak. It's a, a model of consistency. The Red Wings, you know they have a chance, and it's fun to watch. There's nothing like playoff hockey, especially in Detroit. It's very exciting. It's a, just a different vibe. It's fun, and it's something to look forward to and to, to examine. It's just a great atmosphere, playoff hockey. There's nothing like it. Yeah, I like watching the fans, and uh, the, the Red Wings always do a good job with the pregame show, um, get the fans fired up, and Al does a good job swinging that octopus around. There's a lot of tradition here in Detroit. Now we're here in the summer months here in Detroit. What, is, what goes into your preparation now going into a new season as a play-by-play voice? Well, you obviously want to take a break, and uh, <laughs> it's a long season. It's a grueling season. There's a lot of travel, and uh, every day you're doing something. If you're not broadcasting the game, you're traveling, or you're doing a radio talk show. Uh, I do the Inside Hockey Town show once a week with Pat Caputo that I really enjoy. Now you just kind of relax a little bit, try to get your mind off of hockey. But with that said, and you and I were talking about it before we started this podcast, is there's a lot of homework that goes involved you know, with it, too. Like the draft's coming up. You've got free agency coming up in July. I would imagine there could be a, a few trades made during the course of the summer. And then, of course, you're getting ready for, for training camp in September. So um, there's not a lot of offseason, especially if you go deep into the playoffs. Understood. So Ken Cal does not get a summer break. He's not a teacher. The play-by-play voices do not get to have summers off. They definitely work hard and definitely have to know what's going on in the summer months. It's not that easy. So Ken Cal, we give you great credit. And I know you're a big fan of all Detroit teams. So we'll get a chance uh, to wrap up this podcast talking about some of the other issues going on in Detroit because I know you like to talk sports and I know that you're a big Detroit sports guy. Um, You can follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Cal DRW. A funny thing that I noticed uh, a couple months back is that you accidentally left your phone uh, in the booth <laughs> and a local radio host took it and started tweeting stuff out. And now for me, I would be mad. I would be like, wow, this guy took my phone and tweeted stuff out there to my followers. But I felt like you handled it well. And it was just a funny experience. How did you leave your phone out, <laughs> especially with around the guys that are potentially, you know, radio guys potentially could be silly. Well, it was uh, Nick Consonica and Jeff Rieger, and it was between periods of a game, and they came into the booth, and I exited the booth, but normally I take my phone with me. Well, I just left it there, and the next thing you know, I think it's Consonica was taking pictures and tweeting stuff out, and it's like, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> you can't do that. But uh, yeah, it was all fun. Everything was okay. Yeah, so when did you realize? Did you look at your timeline or someone uh, messaged you, or how did you find out they did it? No, Nick told me when he when oh, I the, came the, back. Oh, they brag, braggadocious. She's like, right away, you have to be like, I did this. <laughs> I think they took a selfie of themselves, and yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, you know, sometimes that breaks the monotony during the course of a game. So which sports, you said you definitely play, you play baseball. Mm-hmm. Which sports around town do you peek in the most? I'm a big Lions fan. Okay. Uh, I've always been a big Lions fan. I don't know why. I just... Football's exciting. Yeah, the NFL football is exciting, but... Ever ever since I was a young kid, I, I just kind of gravitated toward the Lions and I always wanted them to win. They always broke your heart, you know, but I think they're they're doing good. I, I think Caldwell's a great uh, coach. I think he's going to be really, really good and, and, you know, they're going in the right direction. And again, it all starts from the top and 
I see it with the Red Wings all the time, just a terrific organization. And I think right now the Lions have the right key people in place and, and it just takes time. I know everybody here talks about patience and, you know, they haven't won, they've won one playoff game in, in since 1957, I think it was, but, um, you know, it just takes time and things will come around. Yeah. It's nice. We have, by all accounts, a franchise quarterback that can lead us. You know, he's been the best quarterback the Lions have ever seen. We want him to step up and be that leader and be the best NFL quarterback. We have obviously haven't seen a quarterback like him around town slinging the ball all over the place. It's just now taking that next step and becoming the ultimate leader and getting this team to some playoff wins. Well, there are a lot of key components in place. Stafford's one of them, and yep. I, I know there's a lot of naysayers out there that don't like Stafford. I like him. I think he's good. And, and right now he's entering his career where this is going to be – the years of his career, they're going to determine Matthew Stafford, in my opinion. I mean, he's a veteran now. He's got experience. And these are the prime years of his career. So if he's going to get something done, it's going to be within the next three, four years. The other thing, too, is Calvin Johnson's terrific. Golden Tate, to me, was their best receiver last year. I thought he was outstanding. Um, they lost Sue, but I think other guys will step up. And, and you know, people people are all about, you know, you, you lost Sue. Well, you know what? It's a team game. It's not one person defines defines it. It's a team sport. So the the good thing about Sue when he was in there is that he made other guys better around him. But I I, I think that position you're not going to miss a beat. I think they'll be okay. Yeah, and then you know Terrell Austin potentially could be a a future NFL head coach. He brought in a, a new defensive system, something that we hadn't seen in a long time. Was a highly ranked top five defense. Amazing. It was good stuff last season. Yeah, you, you would think potentially there's going to be a step back with, you know, Sue leaving. But I do believe that the offense is going to be a little bit better. I think Terrell Austin has brought him a strong defensive mindset. And I do believe that, you know, I agree with you that the Lions are in good shape and they're, you know, bringing in guys that are going to fit the system. And that's what it's about is bringing in the best talent to fit the system and executing at the right time. And now we have to, you know, Keep our fingers crossed, and hopefully some of your patience rubs off on me because <laughs> that 0-16 season took the patience and wiped it out for me. <laughs> you know what? I, the other thing, too, with the Lions is I, I think they have to get better in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And it's easier said than done. But when you have weapons like Golden Tate and Calvin Johnson and, and you got Stafford in there, you, you got to be able to find the end zone. You can't kick field goals. So I think that's something that uh, you know, that'll come around eventually, hopefully. The other thing, too, is I think if you look at a lot of championship teams, teams that win the Super Bowl, you have to have an outstanding defense. And with maybe the exception of uh, the greatest show on turf, when St. Louis just would score 50, 60 points a game, that could have been an exception. But teams that usually win are pretty outstanding teams on, on the defensive side of the ball. So they're in the right direction on that side. Yeah. Now, something that crosses over to both hockey and football that just popped in my mind is the issue of concussions and head injuries. Both sports are really looking at the impact of these head traumas. And now on our team, it hits home because Franzen has dealt with significant kind of health injuries and some concussions may affect his career. Do you think that contact sports like hockey and football are facing a little bit of a risk now? Because if you talk to families and parents and moms and you say, well, is your son going to play football or hockey? They kind of cringe a little bit because of the contact. And more and more people are gravitating towards soccer and baseball. And recently news was made where a San Francisco 49er up and retired. That makes like two or three 49ers who have quit early because of concerns to head trauma. Have you been peeking at that and just some of your thoughts about the, the contact of hockey and football? Well, both sports. It's a player, tough sport. It's a violent sport, man. Yeah, uh, players are getting bigger, stronger. And, and in hockey, 
there there's no rules anymore to slow players down. Like before, you could kind of hook them a little bit or get in front of them. You can't interfere anymore. So what happens is the players are coming in really, really hard and, and they're getting dinged. And to me, that's what causes the, the concussion. I look at Franz, and I know he's had concussions before in his career, but the hit that he took in Edmonton really wasn't a big hit, but it's, it's the multiple concussions that you have, and each one gets worse and worse and worse. So, yeah, he suffered. Hopefully he'll be back. I guess he's been working hard trying to get back, so that'll be a, a, a key for the Red Wings with him coming back. And I, I, I really believe, and I know they're doing studies on the actual helmets, and maybe they have to redesign the helmet. Maybe maybe the way the helmets are made right now, and I'm no scientist or anything, but maybe they have to take a look at that. Maybe you got to protect the jaw a little more. Maybe your hockey helmet now is going to have to be something like a football helmet where it covers the jaw perhaps. And, you know, I, I know they're doing tests, they're doing studies, uh, they're having symposiums about it. So hopefully it'll stop that because we want to see youngsters play in hockey and football, right? Yeah, exactly. And just it, and I've talked to Adam about it. I'm like, I'm a little bit worried about what's going on in the NFL. I mean, you got guys up and retiring at 25, passing up big contracts, and he, he's a little bit, he, he's kind of subdued, means that, listen, football's always going to be around, hockey's always going to be around, but it's just something that is good to be talked about. It's good that it's at the forefront of the nation's talk because at, for a while, it wasn't even talked about. It was kind of like, kind of swept under the rug and, and, and was talked about as a, a way of a man to prove himself was just get out there and play injured. And no, people are now talking like, no, we have to look at when a player's hurt, what is it going to take to get him back and keep him healthy for the long term? I think it's important. The thing I noticed about football over the years is that tackling is gone. People don't tackle anymore. They hit. And obviously it's exciting. And, and I know players want to see themselves you know, hitting other players on, on ESPN highlights. And, and it's great. It, it, hockey's the same way, the big hits. But you know, maybe maybe you got to get away from that. Maybe you got to go back to the old tackling. And and uh, there's so much emphasis on hitting these days that, you know, like in hockey, when you see a guy and Paul Woods and I talk about this all the time is when you see a guy against the boards and a guy's trying to run him right through the boards. I mean, that's that's a good hit, but that's not the object of the game. The object is to bump him, not run him through the boards and get the puck, take the puck. So what you want to do is angle him off to the right or to the left, and then come away with the puck so you have it. And and now it just seems like players are going out there and just trying to destroy other players. And, and that was unheard of back in the day. It's just one of those things when you think about it. We just want to make sure the game is the best at all levels. And when you, you had a player like Sidney Crosby dealing with a couple seasons of, uh, you know, not being on the ice because of concussions and the lingering effects, it's, it's something that's scary. And we want to make sure that we know what's going on and, you know, making sure that the game is the best form as possible. And, John, you and I know fans pay a great deal of money to watch star players play. And you mentioned Sidney Crosby. People want to pay to watch him play. And when he's not in the lineup, you know, it's hard to dish out $100 when he's not in the lineup or Datsuk or Zetterberg or one of those guys, you know? So you got to keep the players healthy somehow. Got it. And also, you also, as a baseball fan, obviously you pay attention to the Tigers. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a rough, rough patch now. Uh, Brad Osmus is the longer, Brad Osmus is the longest tenured manager now in Detroit professional sports. Peeking at the Tigers, that losing streak kind of upset the fans a little bit, made them a little bit woozy. But I do think that the Tigers have some pieces in place um, with some improvements, with getting some guys back that it could be a, a good summer. All teams are going to go through stretches of losing baseball. It's just the way it is in a 162-game schedule. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We heard that from managers before. When it's all said and done, I think the Tigers will be right in there. Verlander's coming in. I guess he's going to pitch Saturday against Cleveland. So that's good. Um, be good to have him in the lineup. And, and the Red, or the Tigers have had some injuries. I mean, uh, their pitchers, 
uh, haven't been healthy as, as well, you know. So they've gone through stretch. Jay, um, Martinez, uh, he's been out with an injury. So it's kind of a makeshift lineup right now. But once the guys get healthy and ready to go, I think they'll be good. They've got a lot of talent. Ken Cal, kind enough to give us a great chat for this podcast. We end all podcasts with this question. You got four tickets. You can go to any sporting event, any venue, and you can take any three people with you, dead or alive. What sporting event would you go to? What venue? Who would you take? Wow, that's a great question. I've always been a, a Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig fan, and I always wanted to watch them play. I think I'd like to go see a game like the 27 Yankees, because we all talk about Murderers Row and what a great team they were. So I, I, I'd probably like to go to a, a game in 1927, probably the game that he hit his 60th home run, Babe Ruth. That would have been a good game to go to. As far as taking somebody, I'd probably take some of my family, my brothers, two brothers, Larry and Ron, because they're big baseball fans. And if my dad was around, I'd take him too, because he took me to so many baseball games when I was growing up. So I think that'd be something to watch those players and that venue, Yankee Stadium, and see history made. Thank you, Ken, for sharing your thoughts, your 20-year history as a play-by-play voice in Detroit. Your work is very professional. It makes it enjoyable to watch a hockey game when you know that you, you, you have a voice that you've listened to for a long time, and your voice has come through the radio for so long, and you've become a, a significant factor and a significant person here in Detroit. And I thank you for your work. Congratulations and continued success. Thank you for coming on this podcast, chatting with us, sharing some of your memories. And you're now a friend of the podcast. We definitely want to chat hockey this upcoming season. And I know we'll be chatting again. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. And all I can say is Detroit Sports Podcast scores.